is Wellness 101, brought to you by the Institute of Natural Health, your home for common sense science-based health care. Here's your host, Dr. T.J. Williams. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Dr. T.J., and with me, as always, is Aaron. Hi. 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 We have a, we have a good show for you today, uh, as always. It's an amazing <laughs> show. Um, today, we are going to talk about, we get, we get lots and lots of questions about this. Today we're going to talk about food allergy and food intolerance. You say that every time. We do, well, we do. I mean, think about it. No, this one I agree with. Um, you don't think we got questions about any other thing that we talk about? No, I mean, we normally do, but um, but this one especially. Um, and this is know. something we've talked about on the show before. Right. But I think it needs to be, you know, I think I don't think we can get this information out there enough. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, that's good. I mean, there's a... You know, food allergies and food intolerances or food sensitivities are not the same thing. And we're going to talk today about what the differences are and why the difference matters. Yeah. So basically, um, lots and lots of people are familiar with food allergies. And actually, people come to our clinic and, you know, maybe they've got some gut disturbance and they're interested in figuring out what foods they should or should not be eating. And most of the population will interchange the term sensitivity and allergy. They don't they don't necessarily understand the difference, and that's okay. Um, I don't expect them to understand the difference, but they'll come in and say, I want to know what my food allergies are. I'm like, okay. And then they say, well, I've done this test looking for my food allergies. And what they're explaining is the, is the RAST test, the skin prick where they're checking all different kinds of environmental talk, uh, um, allergens and, and food allergens and things like that. And what they're looking for is something different than that. And they're saying the term allergy when, in fact, what they're actually referring to is a sensitivity. So we have these, to to just differentiate the two really quickly, we have different types of immunoglobulins. Immunoglobulins are these things in our body that are, are, are part of our immune system that help keep, that's part of our defense system. And they help keep us, you know, safe and secure, basically. And we have different types of immunoglobulins. And the ones that are specific for allergies, like a true anaphylactic allergy, an allergy is something that can be life-threatening. So that would be things like peanut allergies or uh, allergy to a wasp or a bee sting, something where someone typically would carry around an, uh, an EpiPen. And you know it's life-threatening or they, they know they're going to have to go to the hospital if they get exposed. That's an allergy, and that is an IgE-mediated event. The, the immunoglobulin E's are the ones that create this, this reaction that can be life-threatening. Eyes swell shut, throat closes up, hard to breathe, creates a huge problem. And anyone who's – basically everyone knows of someone who has a severe allergy to something or has an allergy to something – that is different from a food sensitivity. A sensitivity is actually, or or an intolerance. We we kind of use the two interchangeably: sensitivity and intolerance. A, a sensitivity is a delayed reaction. This is an IgG or an IgA reaction. These are reactions that take place. 24, 42, or 48, 72 hours later. Sometimes even longer, um, but at least that long. And so a lot of people don't associate a sensitivity with a specific food, and it's almost impossible to associate a sensitivity to a food. And so if someone is interested in, like they've got a gut disturbance and their gut's bothering them and they want to know what they should be eating, they're trying to associate, and this happens all the time. Humans, we're very good at trying to make associations with things, 
even when we may be making the wrong association. And then undoing that wrong association becomes very difficult. I can't tell you how many times people come in and they're like, well, I think that I have a problem with this. And it's an ingredient in a food, um, in a packaged food, rather than just being the what the food is really made out of. They'll, they'll say, well, it's the dextrose in this, I think, because I ate something else that had dextrose in it. Well, what if it wasn't? What if it was just the corn? Or what if it was the chicken? Or what if it was the beef that you were eating? Well, and people, I mean, so frequently get their food sensitivities wrong when they try to guess. I mean, yeah. without question. I mean, I- I'm guilty of that. I right. got it wrong when yeah. I, before I did my first food sensitivity. Yeah. I thought I was sensitive to one thing, and it turned out, oh, no, that wasn't it at all. It was this other stuff. Yeah, and it was the same thing for me, and that happens all the time. I mean, when people will say, you know, like, well, I know that I have a problem with oatmeal, but I'm wondering if I have something else, and we're just like, and it'll come back, and no, oatmeal's fine. It right. was whatever you were putting in the oatmeal. It was the bananas or, that you put in oatmeal every day. Yeah, I mean, like, so you just... Never know right. until you actually get tested, and so and it, it's so difficult to to parse out. And part of it, that it, part of the reason that it's so difficult is because we don't eat as in this country. Most of us don't eat single ingredient foods. We don't eat meat and a vegetable or two or three vegetables. We eat some sort of packaged processed food that has a whole pile of ingredients in it, and that huge list of ingredients. There could be something in there that's creating the problem, and that's the issue here, is trying to identify and clear that out to where we know, clarify what's exactly causing the problem. And so these delayed sensitivities are tested differently. They're tested typically with blood, and so we draw a tube of blood. We send that off to the, the lab that we utilize for that. Depending on what you're doing, we run what your symptoms are and what's going on with you. We, we pick a different lab for you. and we get your results back, and then we're able to identify what foods you're sensitive to and what foods you need to avoid. So that's the difference, really, between a sensitivity and an allergy. And, you know, we try to explain that to our patients when they come in, that, you know, what they think of is actually an allergy. We're describing a sensitivity. Sensitivities are are not life-threatening. You're not going to have to use your EpiPen if you eat a food that you're sensitive to, as opposed to you may need your EpiPen if you're eating something that you're actually allergic to. Yes, but food sensitivities can have a huge impact on your health and your life. They do have a huge impact on your health and your life. That's absolutely true. So just because they're not like, they're not going to cause immediate death um, does not mean they aren't important. They are extremely important. And especially because of their prevalence. I mean, at this point, we're just... yeah. I mean, I don't know that we've ever done a food sensitivity test that someone wasn't sensitive, sensitive to, to something. something. Yeah. yeah, You're always going to be sensitive to something. It's just the amount of foods that you're sensitive to. You know, we have tests that have, you know, a couple hundred foods on them or, or a few more than that. And, you know, sometimes people come back and they're sensitive to 10 or 15 foods. Okay, that's probably normal. But we've had people that have come back sensitive of the 200. They're sensitive to 115 of the foods. That's a. They have massive breakdown in their entire system yes. to be sensitive to that many foods. Some of those had to have been false positives because they have so much inflammation, so much gut dysfunction, so much immune system breakdown that we actually, okay, so we have to remove those foods and we have to start healing and repairing. And then we have to retest to see, okay, what are our, what are our more true sensitivities, right? But unfortunately, 
food allergies. If we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to go back and talk about allergies. Food allergies have been on the rise. Between 97 and 2011, we've seen a 50% increase in kids. And I'm going to I want to digress here and I want to go off on a rant a little bit about the Today show. They did a segment on there about food allergies. And the recommendations I was we I remember talking with you about we were completely mortified. <laughs> yeah, so, you walked in the room and I was like, you have to listen to oh this. Oh my <laughs> gosh! They were talking about how you need to introduce these these high allergen foods like peanuts to kids when they're four to six months old. I mean, this is just ridiculous because they're saying, well, you know, if you don't introduce these foods to a kid by the time they're they're uh, Six months old, you increase the risk, and they're like, well, we've used to delay this food until they were a year, and we saw all these increases in food allergies. Well, you know what's happened since 1997 and now? We've had a huge change in our crops. That's about the time that genetically modified crops really started taking off in this country. So let's not let's not acknowledge the fact that it, maybe it has to do a little bit with the GMOs. Maybe it has to do with all these other environmental toxins that we're exposed to. And like you said, Aaron made a, you want to say your little comment about the Brussels sprouts? It was fun. I laughed. Oh. She said something about. I mean, if it was that you weren't, I mean, if you were going to become allergic to foods that you don't, um, that you're not exposed to, then why do we have people who don't try Brussels sprouts till they're 30 and they don't have an allergic reaction, right? <laughs> I mean, like, it didn't make any sense. Makes zero sense. We're making sense. correlations where they don't exist. I mean, and. There are so many differences. I mean, we've talked about this before. There's a difference in the amount of vaccines that kids are getting. Like, there are all of these other things that we don't know what the ramifications are. Right. We don't know what it's doing to their immune system. Right. So we can't just focus on one thing and say, well, you know, we think that this is it. Um, It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's just it was it was a completely one sided segment, which a lot of their segments are, which is okay. I get it. But it's really frustrating because then, you know, we have a lot of people rely on that. They're like, well, it was a medical doctor that was on there. Yeah. He was saying this. Yeah. I mean, um, and so. That means nothing. Yeah. It just, it's it's frustrating. There are a lot of people that graduated last in their medical school. (laughs) Or even if they didn't, they're taught just, they're taught very differently. So they've come from a very different perspective. Yeah. They're just not, they're not, they're not looking at it from a, from a, a different different way and they don't even acknowledge that there's another way possibly to look at things but we've seen this 50% rise in the in the last several years now we've got one in about 13 kids and one in 25 adults that have life threatening food allergies i mean these are the ones that are these are the people that are carrying around epipens right so that's what's going on i mean we've we can do better right so if we if we talk about like more common food um or more than more common than food allergies, we get these food sensitivities. Now, if if we flip and 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 shift gears from from talking about food allergies into food sensitivities, we're talking about a completely different type of reaction, a completely different set of outcomes, and it's measured differently. We test it differently. It's measured. There's a whole. It's a. It's just a big. It, there's there's a difference and getting the general public and medicine to understand that there is a difference that's a big piece of this puzzle and so that's what we're going to try to do with the rest of the show is talk about you know why food sensitivities matter what they can what they can mean and how they can have such a huge impact on your overall health and how eliminating your food sensitivities can eliminate a lot of chronic 
complaints that you have, things like headaches, sinus infections, body aches and pains. These are common things that disappear when you figure out what foods you're eating that, are, that you're sensitive to that are creating those types of reactions. All right, we've got to take a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about common food intolerances and sensitivities. You're listening to Wellness 101. Welcome back to the show, everyone. If you're just tuning in, today we are talking about the difference between a food allergy and a food intolerance or sensitivity. And in the first segment, we were just talking about, you know, the rise of of food allergies. I kind of went off on a rant and I explained the difference between uh, an allergy and an intolerance or, or, or sensitivity. And so we have some common food intolerances that are out there. Um, you know, I, w- I want to start by talking about celiac disease. Um, a lot of times celiac disease is is confused with a wheat allergy, and it's, it's not an allergy. Celiac disease is actually an autoimmune disease. Um, we get this inflammatory immune response to wheat gluten, rye, barley, and the proteins that are associated with that. This stuff affects 1% to 5% of Americans. That's quite a lot when you really think about it. One, one to five out of 100 people are dealing with this. They typically have things like abdominal pain. They have diarrhea. But they could also have no GI symptoms and not even know that they have it. Right. And, that, and I certainly, that's what's mind-boggling for a lot of people. Yeah. I certainly fell into that category. I mean, I yes. didn't have any GI symptoms. Um, I had some pain, like joint pain and muscle pain, um, you know, that no one ever you know, was able to really, they didn't realize that it was related back to the undiagnosed celiac disease. Right. And that's funny because you get into this, the silent types of celiac disease, you have issues. The issues you have, you have higher rates of iron deficiency. um, You have higher rates of anemia. There's higher rates of osteoporosis. We have neurologic symptoms at a higher rate. There's a fourfold increase in the risk of death. I mean, there's a problem when you have celiac disease, you're not absorbing nutrients. I mean, your gut is just dysfunctional. Right. So but that's, I know a, that's a big deal. It is. It's a huge deal. And I know that it is confusing for a lot of people. And I know even, you know, people in my own life will say, you know, I'll talk about things that I'm sensitive to. They're like, well, you're sensitive to gluten. I'm like, well, I'm not sensitive. I don't have a sensitivity to gluten. I have celiac disease. Like, that's right. actually a different thing. And not that it necessarily matters to, you know, a lot of people who don't have it because it... I, the end result is the same. I'm not eating it. Right. But I mean, but it is, they are two very different phenomena. And, and if she does happen to get glutened, that's the term that we, yeah. we, we like, oh, she got glutened. It's, it's an interesting, we don't figure it out for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden she, she's just, I'm, I'm achy. My back hurts. Everything hurts. I'm so sore. It My feels joints like, kind of like you have the flu. I mean, it's like, yeah. this, you know, and it I lasts mean, for a day or two. Yeah. I mean, and so, and it it takes such a tiny amount. I've never had, um, you know, I mean, gotten enough gluten that like I've actually 
eaten a significant amount. It's when it happened to be, you know, I didn't check it was in a spice or something or, you know, we right. ate out, to, you know, we went out to eat and I was not as careful as I should have been. And it would have been like a microscopic amount. I mean, I, I, right. you know, I'm pretty careful with it, but, um, but I can tell, I mean, we can definitely tell, tell a difference. Yeah. But you know, we don't know for a couple of days. Yep. That's the only, that's the only bad thing. So you have celiac disease. Then we have non-celiac gluten intolerance. So this is something that at least some of conventional medicine has started to grasp is this non-celiac gluten intolerance. So they're starting to understand that people can be sensitive to wheat and gluten and have all these different kinds of reactions. So that's that's one of the things, at least it's there are a few people that in conventional medicine that are starting to acknowledge that that, that this could happen. And so there are actually quite a few people that have this. We we test this, you know, all the time with our food sensitivity testing and way more than half of the population. I don't know exactly the numbers in, in you know, off the top of my head, but more than 50 percent of the people are sensitive to gluten or gliadin in the population that we, you know, that are coming to see us. Um, now, I understand that our population may be a bit skewed, but that's okay. The it doesn't change the fact that there are a lot of people that have this celiac, non-celiac gluten intolerance. So people that come in looking for, you know, hey, I want to know what foods I should and should be eating because, you know, I've got these, I've got this issue. Most people, one of the first things, they've, they've got enough information. They go out there and they're looking like, I've got all these GI disturbances. My gut hurts. I've, I've got bloating. I've got gas. I've got diarrhea. I'm constipated. You know, all this stuff. They say, well, They'll find someone who has the information. And they say one of the first things you should do is eliminate gluten and dairy. Well, by by doing that and getting rid of gluten, they see an improvement in their in their GI problems, right? They they see an improvement in their gut complaints. But what they don't may not see improvements in are things like you know their tiredness, their headaches, their anxiety, their brain fog, their joint pain, all these other things that can be sensitivities. Because maybe it's not just gluten; it could be things, other things that they're sensitive to, right? They made a good first step, but they still didn't get far enough. But back to the non non um, celiac gluten sensitivity. I mean, if it's not diagnosed, it can be a big, big problem because you're going to continue to make associations of why you have these other issues and these symptoms and complaints that aren't necessarily the right association. You're associating the wrong thing with why you're having this issue. And so because we're constantly consuming these foods that we're sensitive to, we can create damage in the gut, which it activates our entire immune system, and then we get this systemic inflammation going on, and it creates a whole host of other health issues, right? We can develop increased risk of having autoimmune thyroid. We develop arthritis. We could get MS. We can have diabetes. I mean, the, the list is long and plentiful. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going as to what can be a problem. So figuring out if you actually have a sensitivity to gluten is, is important, Right. Next on the list, as far as intolerance goes, would be FODMAPs. A lot of people have heard of FODMAPs. Um, some of you may have heard the term, but don't really know what that means. FODMAP is just an acronym. It stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Basically, FODMAPs are a kind of carbohydrate in a lot of foods other than wheat. Things like fruits that have a lot of fructose in them, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, garlic, onions, right? Basically, what's happening is the gut doesn't digest these things, right? 
we're we we don't digest them. We don't absorb the short chain fatty acids. Um, or short fatty short chain fatty. I'm so used to saying short chain fatty acids. It's actually short chain carbohydrates. Sorry about that. Um, so then these carbs are basically fermented by the bacteria in our gut, and that creates creates gas, and it causes fluid to move into the large intestine. A lot of times, people that go on a you know that are suggested to go on a, a low FODMAP diet, they or a, a no FODMAP diet, they they're complaining of bloating and diarrhea at the same time. It just happens all the time. That's what they're after. But people that have a FODMAP intolerance oftentimes have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or they've been told by their doctor that they have irritable bowel syndrome. These are things that you can be looking for. So basically by eliminating these FODMAPs from your diet, and you can Google this stuff. I mean, you'll get a whole host of, you know, place of 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 recipes and things that you can that you can do and when what needs to be eliminated from your diet but 75% of people that have these issues can get relief by just implementing a low fodmap diet it's that last getting that last 25% where you're missing the boat and you need the testing can come in very very handy now another one is lactose intolerance so some of the world's population and there's differing there's varying degrees of confidence in information out there with lactose intolerance some people say so many the tons of people have lactose intolerant other people say there's not really that many people that have lactose intolerance it's a sugar most people don't have a problem breaking down the sugar actually what what some people believe is that what what once what was once believed to be lactose intolerance and inability to digest dairy was the sugar. It may actually be the proteins in the dairy. It may be the casein and the whey in the dairy rather than the sugar. And so I don't get too much into lactose intolerance. When people tell me that they have a lactose intolerance, I basically know, yeah, you've probably got a a, a problem with the with the proteins in the dairy, not the sugar in the dairy. It just it's just not as common as what people think. Um, in my opinion, I could be completely wrong on that. But we see a lot more people that once you eliminate the casein and whey, they don't have the issues anymore. Um, so it's just I, I, I again I don't know that it's necessary the the, the lactose. But again, you know I'm not a huge fan of of dairy anyway. Um, it's, I just, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of dairy. Um, then next, the last food intolerance that I want to talk about is an IgG or IgA mediated food intolerance. So these are, these are these intolerances. They happen three, four, five, six, seven days later. So IgA, so these immunoglobulins are the immunoglobulins that line the, di- the the mucous membranes of the body. So the eyes, ears, nose, throat, mouth, digestive tract, um, all the way through from top to bottom, and in women, the vaginal tract. So a lot of times people can have IgA-related sensitivity, so they have a runny nose. They have uh, you know sinus, chronic sinus problems. They have you know itchy mouth. They have digestive upset. They get gas. They get bloating. They get all these things. Women may have recurrent yeast infections. All these different things are, are, can be IgA-mediated. But unfortunately, what happens is most functional medicine doctors only test IgG foods. And so they only look at IgG reactions. Well, while IgA stick with the typically mucous membrane problems, IgG can create 
all of those problems and any other symptom known to man. So everybody's like, well, let's just get rid of the IgGs. Well, you could miss the boat if you don't test the IgAs too. And so that's where you know we step in and, and try to help people because I can't tell you how many people come to our office and they have IgG food testing and they're still complaining of problems. They've still got issues. And then we run the rest of the test and identify the IgA the IgA mediated sensitivities that they have. They eliminate those, and all of their issues just kind of go away. And they're like, "Well, how come nobody told me this?" I'm like, "Well, I'm sorry that nobody told you that. That's unfortunately they just didn't know, or they just refused to accept the fact that there may be some other information out there." So, anyway, that's that's my take on IgG and IgA. Um, all right, we got to take another break. When we come back, we're just going to continue talking about food intolerances and food allergies. You're listening to Wellness 101. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Um, today we have been talking about food allergies and food intolerances. I want to I want to take a little bit of time and talk about um, some patients that have been in. I had a young kid, seven, I believe he was seven years old. He's got quite a bit of eczema going on, and it's not just him. You know, his, his he has a family history of eczema. There's people in his family that have eczema, so you know they're just you know, had believed that maybe it was, it was, you know, hereditary and all this stuff. And I, I talk a lot about, uh, I don't really think that many health conditions or health issues are hereditary. I've talked about this on the show, but this young man came in and he had these, these eczema patches all over his body and talking to mama about everything. Um, she had been to various allergists, um, had asked for very specific testing. The allergist wouldn't listen. She was asking for blood work to be done, and they just kept running these these skin prick tests on her. And so finally she just gave up. She just, uh, I'm tired of it. I can't deal with this anymore. No one is listening to what's going on. And what was interesting is they had done all of these skin prick tests on this kid, and the only two allergies that they had found was to a couple of meats, fish and chicken or something like that. It's just and they were ridiculously mild allergies. And so the mom's like, you know, I I already know that if he eats gluten, he gets way worse. I know that if he eats strawberries, he gets way worse. Well, what do we do with that? Like, you know, she's just she's coming in begging for help. Now, you know, you've got celiac um, or celiac eczema. I read celiac on my notes here. Um, if you have eczema and you're a little kid, I mean, it's hard for a kid to explain, you know, what's going on. They just know that it itches, it bothers, it hurts. It it gets worse sometimes. It weeps. It's it's a it's a problem. So basically all we did was was test this little kid and figure out that, hey, you know what? He's got some sensitivities. These are the things he's sensitive to. Blew mom away at the things that he needed to eliminate. Um, stop eating those foods. We healed up his gut. And all of a sudden, his eczema goes away. Imagine that. 
all the creams. They'd been trying creams and lotions and all these things, these steroids to, to help this. And yeah, does that stuff decrease the, the redness? Does it decrease the size of the problem? Yeah, but it didn't eliminate anything. It was just a, it was just a patch. It was a Band-Aid to, to try to, to cover up the, the problem. It wasn't finding the yeah. solution. It, it was wasn't. to cover up the symptoms of the problem. Yeah, it wasn't it w- actually finding the problem. <laughs> we did not find the root cause. They weren't. We come in, it literally, and I had it figured out about a half hour, 45 minutes, just talking to her, letting her tell her story, get all of her information that she wanted out of there. I'm like, okay, well, we definitely need to figure out what foods he should and shouldn't be eating. And, I mean, you would have thought I gave her a, a plate of gold because she was just so thankful that I'd listened, that I cared, and I understood, yeah, that those types of tests that you've been doing are the wrong tests. Right, but this just goes to show that, you know, we've talked about many times before that what people think that they're getting with, you know, conventional medical doctors is not what is actually happening. You know, they think that they go in, they tell them what their, you know, problems, what they're experiencing. The doctor runs whatever tests are necessary. And then they, they tell them the best way to get rid of the problem. That isn't what happens. That's what happens in our clinic. Right. But well, and what's what was frustrating for this lady, she went in specifically asking for the stuff like what we do. Yeah. And the doctor said, well, no, we can't do that. We actually have to, let's run this first. And if this doesn't come back with anything, then maybe we'll go and look at the next step. And then they didn't even test the things that she wanted. Right. Well, and I, I've heard that so many times. And I know you have too. So, I mean, yeah. it happens all the time. But I mean, and there's one of the big issues with this is that conventional medical doctors don't run functional medicine tests. Right. And so that's what patients are wanting. And, but then, on the other hand, we get patients in our office who want insurance to cover the testing that we do. And, you know, I mean, conventional medical doctors are just running what insurance will cover. We're running what's actually necessary, but insurance may not cover. So, yep. um, and I get the frustration in that. I totally do. But that's why, you know, until we actually change the system, that's what we're stuck with. You know, oh, there's so, there's no changing the system. So I mean, you're the not system's gonna, ingrained. You're not going to get your conventional medical doctor to run some of these tests that will actually tell you what the problem is because they don't know about them. They don't uh, they don't know how to interpret them, and even to the extent that they do, they're not going to go outside of what insurance will cover. Right. Um, that's just well, and what uh, it is. They know nothing about nutrition. They're going to refer you to a, a dietitian or a nutritionist. Who knows nothing about functional medicine, yeah. who still doesn't know, is still going to promote a terrible diet. The standard American diet is, I mean, the the, the standard of, of their dietary recommendations is just pitiful at best. Pitiful at best. I mean, the, literally, I mean, we did a show a, a while ago on, on diabetics, or, or maybe it was the show we were talking about flour and, and how, you know, it, it really affects your blood sugar. Well, the the... The, if someone has diabetes and goes to a dietitian, they tell them that you can eat whatever you want, basically, as long as you just give yourself more insulin. Insulin is the problem. You want to give less insulin. You want to change your diet to where you eat less things that need or eat fewer things that needs that needs less insulin. I don't want you to take a hundred units of insulin every day. I want you to take two units of insulin every day if you're diabetic. That's a huge difference. And so. 
They just don't know. And the same comes true, like Aaron was saying, when you get into functional testing and we start saying, you know, they have food intolerances, you can't, you have to avoid these foods. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to tell you, hey, these are the steps that you need to do to heal your gut. Right. That's our next step. Our next step is, okay. we've identified the food, the food sensitivities. We need to remove those. And the example I give is like a house burning down. So if if your body, if we think of your body as a house and your house is on fire and you've got all of these symptoms and problems. Right. We need to put the fire out. Right. We've got we've got to eliminate the fuel that's to the fire. We got to stop the fire from burning. And so what do we do? We call in the fire department to put the fire out. Right. Putting the fire out in the human body is a matter of removing the fuel source. We stop giving the fire fuel. So that's remove the foods that you're sensitive to. Once we remove the foods that you're sensitive to, the fire goes down. Once the fire goes down and gets out, then we can start to rebuild and repair. You don't call the construction crew to come over and fix your house while it's still burning down. That makes absolutely no sense. But unfortunately, that's how a lot of people think that this should work, is they should just be able to fix the problem without eliminating the foods. We have to identify what is causing the problem and what the trigger is. That's where food sensitivity comes in. And then once you do that, you're able to, to heal the gut. And so all these, all these food intolerances literally come back to a compromised gut. And so the gut's not digesting food properly. The food molecules are getting past the lining of the gut. And it's, it's aggravating the immune system. So, you know, these, these are the steps that are necessary that, You've got to identify first what the problem is. Once you identify what the problem is, then you can figure out what the solution is, right? If, you know, problem A may require solution A, but problem B may require solution F, right? We just don't know until you get into it and get the testing to figure out exactly what's going on. Because there may be products that you would normally use to help heal your gut that you're actually sensitive to. So just by saying, oh, I'm going to use this gut protocol to heal my leaky gut because I, I know that when I eat certain foods, I have a problem and I'm going to heal this leaky gut. If you don't identify what the issue is, you may be consuming a, something to help heal your leaky gut that actually is fuel for the fire. And we see that a lot. A lot of times people will jump right to bone broth and they'll say, well, I'm going to try some bone broth. While, yes, bone broth is very healing and can help um, in the healing process for, for gut function – if you're making chicken bone broth and you have a sensitivity to chicken, you're literally pouring gasoline on the fire. You're not fixing anything, right? And you wouldn't know that unless you actually test it. It's the same thing we talk about all the time when people decide, you know, I'm going to actually eat healthier. I'm going to actually take control of my health. And they start eating things like, you know, salads and broccoli and they haven't had a food sensitivity test, and we discovered that they are allergic to lettuce and broccoli, right? right, right. I mean, um, it's the same thing. It's just the way I look at it is, you know, food sensitivity testing is the roadmap. You know, it's the rules that you have to live your life by. Yep. And if you don't know the rules, you're guessing. You're, it's all, you know, shots in the dark. That's all it is. And then people get frustrated, but we're like, you didn't even know what your the rules were for your life. So how— did you expect to win? You can't win if you don't know the rules. I mean, right. that's a basic, you know, part of playing any game. Right. All right. We got to take a break. Um, when we come back, we're just going to continue talking about food allergies and food intolerances. You're listening to Wellness 101. 
And welcome back to the show, everyone. If you're just tuning in, you have missed a pretty exciting show on food allergies and food intolerances, <laughs> if I say so myself. Well, it's as exciting as we can make the topic. Um, this is one that I think affects so many so many people, and so many people don't even realize that the foods they're eating are creating some of the problems that they're having. I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with someone where I really you know, talked about food sensitivities or food intolerances. And yes, a lot of conversations uh, comes up actually a lot in my everyday life where people where the person I'm talking to has not said, I really should get that done. Because the truth is, you should really get it done. Yeah. (laughs) Whether you have symptoms or not. You know, like I was saying before the break, I mean, these are the rules. Like you don't know the rules that you're playing of the game, you know, you're playing if you haven't had the test done. Yeah. It's that simple. So what do you do if you if you have a leaky gut? You know, the, the Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a few things, but this wildly depends upon your specific food sensitivities. There are things that I'm going to recommend that if you have sensitivities, you can't do. Right? This isn't for everyone. It's not a one size fits all. It's not cookie cutter. Food healing a gut is individualized and figured out by your functional medicine provider what things you can do based around your food sensitivities. Right. It's not just, oh, here, do this. This will work because that's not that's not accurate. Right. So one of the big things is help is digestive help. So increasing stomach acid. So a lot of times people have lower than normal stomach acid. It's a big thing. We've talked about it on on the show before. I'm not going to get into all of that. But if you're over the age of about 30, 35, your stomach does not produce the acid at the levels that it should or that it did when you were younger. It just doesn't. Acid production in the body goes down. And so taking some sort of supplement to increase acid, like a a betaine hydrochloride or something like that, may be necessary for you. You've got to be careful. They're not all created equal. They're all in different strengths. And just because you buy one versus the other, one may work, one may not. One may be, you know, a 700-milligram capsule, and the other one may be a 50-milligram capsule. One may be way too strong. One may not be strong enough. It's There's going to be a little bit of guessing game there. There's a little bit of work in trying to figure out what exact supplement is necessary for your you know digestive help. Another one that's really important is get tested for SIBO um, and intestinal pa- uh, pathogens. Figure out if you have gut bugs. Make sure you don't have uh, you know infections. Make sure you don't have inflammation. Make sure you have the ability to digest fats and and proteins. Make sure your gut bacteria are in balance. These are all things that are important. This is stuff that we do. It's functional medicine testing. You go ask your normal doctor for a stool test. They're going to say, well, why? You're not, you know, you're not complaining of, you know, blood in your stool and you don't have, you know, raging diarrhea after a trip. You know, they're, they're looking for stuff that kills you quick. They're not looking for functional health of your gut. And that's a completely different test. Um, so get tested for that. Figure out if you have those things. If you do, you've got to get that stuff fixed first before you can finish the rest of the process. Um, another suggestion that's out there that a lot of people throw out is to eat fermentable uh, or eat fermented foods. Um, things like sauerkraut, um, kombucha, kimchi, all these things are fermented foods. The issue with that is if you have a problem with candida or if you have a bacterial overgrowth, you can actually exacerbate those things. It happens in some people. In some people, fermented foods help those overgrowths. In some people, it creates a bigger problem. 
you've got to know what you've got going on and know how to step into that. You don't just go out and eat a jar full of sauerkraut. It can create some serious problems for you. You've got to be careful. You've got to be mindful. And if you have a a sensitivity to cabbage, you probably shouldn't be eating the sauerkraut anyway. Again, got to know what you're sensitive to. Um, And, you know, maybe even, you know, think about probiotics if, if necessary. But again, you've got crazy things going on, probiotics may not be the the answer for you. And then um, fermentable fiber, prebiotics um, can be effective too at improving the microbiome. But again, you've got to know what you're talking about as far as these prebiotics go, whether or not you're sensitive to something. And then I was talking a second ago about bone broth. Bone broth is another piece of this puzzle. It's got a lot of stuff in it. There's gelatin in there. There's glycine. There's glutamine. They all are beneficial for the gut. And those things individually are beneficial for the gut. But again, the problem comes is what is your source of bone broth? If you have a sensitivity to chicken and you're making chicken bone broth, you're going to create a problem, right? That's an issue. If you have a sensitivity to beef and you're making beef bone broth, you're going to have a problem. You've got to know what your sensitivities are so you know exactly how to go about and target your specific gut healing protocol. It's different for everyone. They're not all the same. Okay? These are, these are big things. Um, I, I, just, I hope that you, you can grasp that concept that you know just because you read it on the internet or the, your favorite Instagrammer um, said, this is what I do, and it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that it, that there's not something out there that can benefit you, right? It, it can happen. You just got to know what's actually going on and what's actually, you know, what actually can help you. Right. And that just means if you are getting frustrated, the best thing to do is go and actually get tested, right? Because you can spend years trying what has worked for other people and never see any results and actually make yourself worse. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff out there, um, you know, that you can do if you if you suspect that you have food intolerances, it, you know, if if you're not going to see a functional medicine provider, you're not coming to see us and and getting tested and figuring out, you know, there are diets out there. There's the whole thirty diet out there that people will get on. Um, there's a there's a paleo reset that people will get on. There's the um, audio autoimmune protocol diet that people will will try. If these things are making improvements, but they're not getting all the way there, you have to start thinking, well, maybe there's something that I'm continuing to eat that I'm sensitive to. You know, I use broccoli as an example. Pick a diet, any diet, South Beach, Adkins, you know, paleo, keto, whatever diet of the day you you choose. Broccoli is an okay food on all of them. So you could go from one diet to the next diet to the next diet to the next diet and say, well, that's not working. It's not helping my my my." My food intolerances is not doing this, not doing that. You know, I've got all these these problems and nothing seems to be helping as far as my diet goes. And then you finally decide that you want to test your food sensitivities and you find out that broccoli was actually the problem. You have a sensitivity to broccoli and you've been eating broccoli day in and day out, right? Thinking that broccoli being a superfood and a, quote, health food doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually healthy for you. So identifying what you should and shouldn't be eating is paramount. That's why Aaron was saying earlier, it's the rules to the game. You've got to know what you should and shouldn't be eating. That's the biggest piece of this puzzle and why we encourage food sensitivity testing so much in our clinic. We've seen, we've done thousands of these things, and they're all different. 
right? A lot of people are sensitive to to casein away. A lot of people are sensitive to gluten. A lot of people are sensitive to various forms of sugars and, and things. But no two are exactly alike. They just aren't. And so knowing what you've got going on can help and make a big difference in your food choices. And wouldn't it be great to eat food that you don't have all these things associated with food intolerances? You don't have headaches. You don't have joint pains. You don't have you know bloating and, and gas and diarrhea and constipation. And all these things just kind of slowly go away because you've been able to eliminate your intolerances. Because likely if you got a food sensitivity test, you're working with a functional medicine provider that can help you heal and repair your gut so that these problems and issues go away to begin with. Right? That's the that's the key to this whole thing. So hopefully you, you know, will take that into consideration when uh deciding, okay, all right, I've got I've got some issues. I'm going to, you know, seek some help. I'm going to finally pull the trigger. I'm going to go do this. It's it's going to be the best thing for me. It's not just you, it's your whole family, right? Let everyone know, right? It's it's it's, it's good for it's good for the whole family. It's wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's about all the time we've got for today. Um if you want more information, visit our website, theinstituteofnaturalhealth.com. Follow us on Instagram, um Facebook, Twitter, um at INHSTL, um, you know, follow our podcast, go to iTunes, we're on there, um, Wellness 101, um, subscribe, like, you know, rate us nice and high, we appreciate that. Um, we're also on shot, uh, Spotify as well. Um, so if you, again, uh, please shoot us information if you want. That's all the time we've got for today. For Aaron, I'm Dr. TJ, this has been Wellness 101, thanks for listening.